Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 92 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, two minutes to late nights, Jordan Olds, a.k.a. Guarcinio Hall, returns to the show. Over the last year, he and the Two Minutes crew have been putting out all-star bedroom covers with folks from Primus, Tool, Mutoid Man, Protesta Hero, Mastodon, Royal Thunder, and many, many others. More recently, they organized the Splitsville series in which two bands cover one another on a live stream. Jordan and I talk about those projects as well as his fascination with Glenn Danzig, our mutual love of Prince and the Muppets, uncomfortable nostalgia, and more. So before we dive into Jordan Olds, here's some of their bedroom cover of Ozzy Osbourne's Crazy Train with Chelsea Wolfe, members of Dillinger Escape Plan, Mutoid Man, and Jordan. You can find this and all their bedroom covers over on youtube.com slash Woman. So it's been a minute, man. How have you been? You know, dude, I'm pandemic I, I, considering. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, other than everything being worse than it's ever been, like, I guess I'm doing, I'm doing all right. I found, uh, like a way to, to stay pretty busy. I've, uh, I, um, weirdly out of like necessity, I'm in a better, uh, like living situation uh for for pandemic times like Mm -hmm. my my landlord sold my building in ridgewood so i didn't really have like the option of like a like a lease renewal uh and so i just uh in my apartment hunt i started looking at uh just some houses to rent that that are a little bit out of the city so now i'm just like paying the same amount of rent that i was but i have a house and uh i'm just like an hour outside of the city and I have a lot of space, and my dog likes it more, and me and my partner have more space from each other. I have like a treadmill in my house, so I don't. So it makes it easier to work out every day since New York weather is uh, chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I guess like I've I've figured out a way to be to be relatively stable in this time and uh just stay busy with two minutes of so i don't know things are things are okay how are you doing man i'm kind of in the same boat i've got my my little routine going where i like i don't have a treadmill in house but i will go for a run and just spend the entire time staying away from people which is what i did before because i i feel very self-conscious when i run for some reason um, Dude, me too. But when I'm able to work from home doing the day job, so that's fine and able to kind of keep doing these. So it's I'm not thriving, but I'm I'm surviving. There's your T-shirt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, like I well, number one, I empathize with you on uh, looking weird when you run like I um, uh, like I got in the habit when I had longer hair of um 
like running outside with a hoodie on um, and like pulling it really like pulling the drawstrings close so my hair didn't get like in my eyes while running. Did you look and like so Kenny from like, South Park? Sort of. I mean, it, it looked more like I was being uh, like. I like I was uh, being birthed by like a sweat pant vagina, like I would say Hot. while I'm running. That was a fetish I didn't know I had. Now it's been tapped into. Thanks. Oh yeah, uh, there's an OnlyFans for that. Of course, support sex work is real work. Um, but yeah, I uh, you know um, it's been a uh, I don't know. I guess like. I'm trying to I'm just trying to figure out how to move things forward um in our like just with 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 music stuff in the times that we're in like that's kind of my main focus that's kind of why we started doing the 2 minutes to late night bedroom covers in the first place is we saw just all of our friends being flown home from tour and they were all scared about I saw a ton of posts about like being freaked out about how they were going to pay uh, upcoming bills. Like uh, a lot of people had like surgery scheduled or whatever. And so we kind of started doing, we were like, we can turn the bedroom covers, uh, which was an idea we had before the pandemic. We, we had, we were, that was just a way to try to get the last three minutes of a two minutes late night episode uh, out more consistently and easier to work with artists that we like. But then we turned it into something that we can use to help our musician friends pay their bills in this weird time, like give them a piece of our Patreon money. This can be the focus of the show. So we're not using that money for anything else, but just making these songs. And it kind of worked. We, uh, we like I, we provided a little bit of a musical distraction without, uh, someone feeling like they have to write an entire album right now. Uh, we hopefully got them, uh, a little bit of much needed funds in this time. And uh, now we're just, you know, trying to, trying to figure out how to, how to keep it going since um, every attempt to kind of return to some form of normalcy like so far has been uh, a real mess. Hopefully that'll change, but just for right now, we're just trying to see what we can continue to do. And this all, well, at least this version of it in the pandemic all started with a weird owl thing and has since snowballed and you guys have wound up on Rolling Stone. When did it get out of hand? Uh, immediately. <laughs> like, uh, well, it started soft cause we planned the weird owl thing before we shot that. Like you'll see like ACDC and weird owl, like Steve's in my apartment in both of those. Because we those were pre-pandemic, um, so we had that kind of figured out beforehand. We didn't know who was gonna like. Sit. We didn't know that Neil from Clutch was gonna sing ACDC at the time, and we had like, um, we always had like uh, we had we didn't know who was the only. I think Weird Al was the only one where we knew exactly who was gonna play on it. Like it's it's Ben from Chemist, it's Mitch from Now. It'll be the first one. Um, but then once the pandemic hit, uh, like we, we had a lot of songs in mind and we reached out to a lot of people. And then when they were home, they were like, fuck it, let's do it. So we were doing tons of them. And I think, you know, the Rush cover 
is uh, is is where our popularity kind of exploded. Um, but that's honestly that one is all Bill from Macedon and Steve Brodsky just nerding out about Rush and who it would be cool to do a Rush cover. Like, I don't know anything. I still kind of don't know anything about Rush. Um, I've listened to 2112 one time, <laughs> and um, Bill had a lot of fun doing the Kate Bush cover with us, which I was surprised he did. Um, but I think he just liked uh, – he's an eclectic guy, which is really cool. Um but he suggested doing uh, doing Rush, and I was like, I know that Steve is a huge Rush guy, so I kind of played middleman for the two of them to pick a song, and Danny reached out and grabbed, uh, he was like, um, but he grabbed Les Claypool and uh, Danny Carey, and um, then Steve reached out to Claudio and kind of uh, made that happen, which was... Uh, I think uh, that a lot of people didn't think would ever happen. It's Claudio Sanchez singing Rush. He even made a little video 10 minutes after <laughs> the actual cover went live explaining why he had never covered Rush until then, which is bananas. I have not seen that video, but the one-to-one of Rush and Coheed is pretty obvious to me as a fan of, a big fan of Coheed, a casual fan of Rush. But I, I wonder what his reservations were. Maybe that was it. But I guess I have to watch that video. Yeah, no, he talks about it. He explains that he was he didn't know who Rush were when he started his band. It's just he started playing music and people were like, you sound like this guy. And he was like, are you guys, are you ripping him off? And he's like, no, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and then uh, he heard some rush and he kind of he just slowly kind of got it and then i think with the opportunity he was like if i'm ever gonna sing a rush song it's gonna be with these musicians he was like it'll be with danny and les claypool so it was the it was like the one time he was he would uh he would try it and he killed it he did a great job yeah but, you know that one was not uh you know that's it's weird that that it's like that one is the most popular one, but it's the one I had like least to do with. <laughs> I was just kind of uh, um, my job was just to kind of I felt like just like a green room attendant. Like, uh, is, is everybody OK in here? Does anybody need anything? New click track water. Yeah, I, I kind of want to get in the weeds a little bit about how the whole process works, because you you are the face of this, of course, and I know there's a lot more than you behind the scenes. I know Drew from like the podcast that we talked about last time, uh, edits and whatnot. Um, but like, how do how do you guys pick the song? Do you just cold email like publicists to get people on board? I I like as a fan of what you guys are doing and sort of you know a nerd about this kind of thing. Like you just like, are you make? I know that you make the demos of the songs as well, because on the um, Bandcamp Friday ones, you put out one of those on every one of them, which are, are wild, by the way. I, I love hearing <laughs> the the one, the initial thing, and then the end product. Um, but like, yeah, like, please go go deep on this. I'm I'm fascinated. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just try to. It's all. I just honestly it's really just I kind of am going off of like instinct of what song uh if I'm putting the song together if it's like my demo it's usually like um 
like I want to pick a song that feels a little out of left field for the most part. Um, and I want to put like a team together that's interesting. Like I don't want to just pick uh, random famous people. I kind of want it to be um, like the right team of people for the most part. And we just put as much work into putting uh, like the neatest team of folks together. Like, you know, there's a reason why like the Rush team feels correct for the most, like, you know, like those, we kind of want to create that same kind of vibe for each track. But also sometimes it's just, uh, we want to show, I want to like pick a singer who, to sing something that not, that, someone would not necessarily uh, expect to be able to pull something like that off. Like, um, like Neil from clutch on ACDC is really cool. Cause he is literally the opposite of what Bon Scott's voice sounds like, but it kind of has the same swagger. Absolutely. So I, I'm kind of trying to match, trying to match people's vibe and interest for the most part. Cause I think there's uh, like what people would, what music people actually listen to uh, when they're not playing their own music is usually pretty surprising. Um, so that's, that's you, that's, it's kind of, um, I mean, honestly, that's really what the, there's not, there's not much more to it than that. Like I try to pick a song that I think we can transform in a fun way. I don't like to do, I, I, I try to avoid doing songs uh, like as straight covers like as if we're especially if we're doing like a metal song or like a heavy rock song like i want to find at least one way to spin it a little bit like uh like when we did uh caught in a mosh i was like all right there's gonna be blast beats and there's gonna be bounce riffs at least the one of those that really stands out to me is the crazy train cover because if you're going to cover yeah. Ozzy, that's like the most obvious one. But of course, you're going to put Chelsea Wolfe on vocals. So it it can't sound like Randy Rhodes doing what he did. So your spin on that is very cool. Um, so it, you purposely like go deeper. That's on like your bigger bands or I guess yeah, heavy well, bands. That one, that well, like sometimes the songs are suggested by other people. Like the Chelsea Wolfe one. Chelsea has been, uh, that was actually three years in the making. Like we've been trying, Chelsea was supposed to be, uh, or has wanted to be a guest on the show show for three years, but it's been, it was hard, um, trying to lock down time with her. Like she doesn't, uh, she's not always on this coast. Um, yeah, she's my neck of the woods. I think like I'm just outside of Sacramento and I believe she's still local. Yeah, I think so too. I she's an enigma. But there's like, you know, it's rare for her to be here, you know, not having to play a concert herself from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. So that one it was kind of like you know, after she flew home, uh we were like, let's give this a shot. Let's uh let's let's keep it going. But we I've had that demo for the minor key. like she pitched that she wanted to do it. Steve came up with the idea for it being like in a minor key. Like Steve sent me like a cell phone video uh, again, like three years ago of him just playing the verse. Uh, 
with minor chords and him singing the original melody over it. And I was like, oh, okay, I have an idea for this. And then I kind of built out a rough demo with the, uh, with the intro that sounds like John Carpenter. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I built the rest of the song uh, around that. And so that one just, that one had a lot of time and it's cool and I love it. Are any artists off the table for you to cover? Because I, I know in the show show you guys did Prince and Cher at Psycho Vegas, but I haven't seen those come up in bedroom covers. And knowing what I know about your music taste, I'm a little surprised by that. Oh, well, there's, I mean, uh, <laughs> well, we've done, we've done Prince before. I think, like, uh, I've always had, like, to be honest with you, I have like a ton of Prince uh, demo, d- like demos and ideas for Prince songs. Uh, it's just again finding the right. It's got to be the right people that I want to that, like, it's got. I, I I'm gonna save them for when I'm, I find the right crew to pull that song off. Wendy, Lisa, the Doctor, Brown Mark, you know those people, right? Huh? I was just naming. Oh, Wendy, Lisa. I was just <laughs> yeah, naming the no. Revolution. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wait, listen. I would love to work with Lisa, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't put Lisa on her own song. I would make Lisa. I would want to. I would want to turn another song uh, into a song that sounds like the Revolution, because that's. I don't know. That's that's the stuff I kind of have most fun. Like I'm not on the Killing in the Name cover, and that's a song I normally would never cover. Not because of like the content of it, but it's just one of the most covered songs of all time uh it's um like i i like it would just be too popular for us but i had the uh the vision to turn it into kind of like a slayer song and that it could be all non-white musicians and so that kind of brought it back onto the table and i just i like making uh so any song is kind of on the table as long as i have um as long as there's like a way that I can really spin it or uh, I will try to make it work if it's not, even if I don't have that fresh of a take on the song, if it's like a song that I think not a lot of people know and that it would be cool for people to hear, like then I, then it'll make me want to do it. Like I, one of our, I think one of our coolest uh, arrangements uh, is the, is the Brian Eno medley. And that didn't get, I like there was no way that was going to get a ton of plays because Brian Eno himself doesn't get a ton of plays. Um, you know, he's not, uh, he's, he's a more underground kind of legend and not many people who love metal have done the Eno dive. But I think what we did with that was really cool. Um, like we didn't have, uh, that new of a take on like needle in the Campbell's eye, but we kind of like, uh, like made a really did a really gross uh like uh black and roll version of babies on fire and then uh like here come the warm jets uh i i kind of liked how big and epic that felt because the original is is kind of uh it's kind of droning and sad um and uh i i just liked that I really wanted to do Eno just in general because I was like, we can, it would be fun to play with his 
double drum set thing that he used on the song Here Come the Warm Jet. So we can have two drummers playing at the same time and hard hard pan them and see if we can pull this off. Um, I, I imagine, well, you're probably not like super blasé about it, but interviewing people for the show show or just running in the circles that you do that you've met a lot of rock and metal people and it's kind of humanized them a bit more for you. But I, I used to listen to um, Pod Minutes to Cast Night when you guys were just talking about albums a lot. And Cavallo Attack is, is a band that you said is your favorite band. I don't know if that's still the title they hold, but was having Erland on the Anthrax cover especially cool for you with that in mind? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think that they, they... I would still say, like, they are... I, I, I want to call them, like, my favorite band because they are like a newer band and a band that is like exists or they're newer in the scheme of things like my favorite bands are of like all time are probably like you know thin lizzy van halen prince but they are i think they are the best thing in like aggressive music just because they do everything in their music like they use every they use them like they use all of the things that i like like they put prince van halen thin lizzie and they throw like black black metal and hardcore in there there's just everything uh they use every element of every type of band that i like uh and they use it well so yeah they're still my favorite modern band it was awesome to work with Erland. he's got a really cool cape uh he's a really nice guy <laughs> Um, that was both surprising and not surprising to see him playing in a forest in a cape. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, well, he's, you know, uh, the new version of him, uh, like, or the new, like is very tongue in cheek. And I think it's really fun, uh, to watch him kind of lean into it. Uh, like the, the real, like, um, the real Viking metal type thing. Like he's, I, he very clearly, wants to be like a face paintless King diamond kind of thing. Um, but for Viking metal. And I think that that's really fucking fun and really cool. Um, those guys rule. Yeah. It's honestly, I'm excited. Anytime we get to like every one of these covers is exciting for me. Um, Cause I still really, um, I think over the years, like I, it hasn't really humanized anybody. I've learned how to, I think the, the biggest thing uh, is I've just learned how to talk to people uh, who I haven't met before a little better than I did initially. Um, Cause I think I like, that's what I've gotten used to the, the me being excited to work with someone who I uh, respect and admire. Uh, that's still, I'm still shaking every time I have, you know, we have we have so many songs. We have like almost 20 songs in the bank that we're working on right now. And all of them, like every time I'm trying to talk to somebody uh, like to one of the members of those songs, it's uh, it's still nerve wracking. It's time. I'm still nervous. Um, but I uh, I just kind of I, I don't know. I think I have like probably just some better icebreakers for them. <laughs> Uh, have you tried to get Danzig to sing on an Elvis cover with you? Or is that too much of what something he would want to do already? 
I have ideas of what I would want to do with Danzig. I don't think I would put him on an Elvis cover. Um, not, not just because even before he put out his own Elvis covers, I just think that that I think similarly to like, I would never, I personally wouldn't have asked Claudio Sanchez to do rush because I think at a certain point it's like, all right, well, if this person has not sung this particular clear connection influence, it's something they're not interested in doing or there's something they're waiting for to do it. Um, so normally I probably wouldn't ask him to do that. I would, uh, there's so many, uh, like fun ways to use, uh, like Danzig's voice, uh, and mash and match him up with, with something else. I would like to try to, I think it would be fun to try to have him cover something that's almost the opposite of what in kind of a Neil Fallon, ACDC kind of way. So like, What's that guy's name? Jermaine Jacks? No, not Jermaine. <laughs> uh, who did? Um, we don't have to take our clothes off. Oh, um, oh my God! I think I, I know that song. Yeah. Oh my God! I think it might be Jermaine Jackson. And yes, I think that that's that would be great. Or like, um, I don't know. Like, it would be fun to like have. Danzig do something maybe not the rhythm of the night like Judas Priest but like you know like a Halfred register like try to like that's normal that's where I would go is like who is like the right higher register kind of song that would sound cool with Danzig's voice so I would have to think about that I also have never considered Danzig for a cover because I'm just still not convinced he wouldn't uh try to punch us into the sun yeah that was my next question like what is from the old podcast for sure like what is your collective deal with danzig you did an entire series on your show where you like talk about albums that are seemingly panned you just did him for an entire month do you love him do you hate him because then you saw the misfits and then ate pasta at the show is he like your nick cage <laughs> yeah no 100 percent. i love him so much i he's my he's my biggest influence i think he is my favorite he is my favorite singer like danzig is absolutely he's my he i think he's the most fascinating musician like i love i love him because he is a um he's like weird in a in a harmless way i think for the most part like there's like every he's funny but he's also a genius uh at the same time like the uh misfit sam hain first four danzig records are perfect i think that they're all perfect they're all uh the songwriting writing is incredible uh and there's stuff that's really funny about them too there's um which is exactly what i love like there's stuff that's uh like there's genuinely beautiful stuff there's funny stuff there's catchy stuff um and it, the the biggest thing is i think it's it's all very unique like the dude uh with like those three ba- he's like he's invented three genres of music and no one can pull off um the sound of the original uh like the first four danzig records i think there's there's a magic too. Like even if you listen to us on the podcast, like I'm kind of not that hard on him. 
we did those albums because that's, you know, um, we did a month on him because he like famously, uh, like just to, to critics, like we, we, to critics, every album after four has been bad. So we went through it and I think it's just, it's more, um, like Danzig, uh, the more, I, I, I don't know. I think he has, he has like a problem that I think that a lot of artists, or I don't even know if it's a problem, just an ambition that a lot of artists fall into where they try to, uh, do everything themselves. Like when they think that they can do every piece of, of, uh, that that goes into a creative project and that's kind of that has only worked maybe uh like there's only like three people who are really good at doing everything themselves on their own project and they end up with something that's great like even perfect artists that even danzig respects like david bowie david bowie is collaborating on every single album bringing in people that have different visions than him and it's not even the same people each time. And I think that that's like David Bowie ha- like did that throughout his career. And I think that like when Danzig uh, after Danzig four, after he pushes out Rick Rubin and tries to do everything himself and is trying to create industrial music on his own, having never heard or never really known how that works. That's why you end up with uh, like an album like Danzig five. And then when uh, everyone's trying to switch over to computers or whatever, uh, that's how you end up with Danzig 6, is because he's trying to keep up with the times with drop tuning, but also he famously doesn't want to be in the studio, so he does everything in one take, and it's all recorded digitally, and digital recordings back in the day, they sucked ass, and you didn't really know, <laughs> like it was hard to mix them, so you have... That's how you get Danzig six. And it's just, it's kind of a, with him, it's sort of, sort of like a John Carpenter thing where he, the technology is moving a little bit too fast for how he's going to work. And I don't think he has the interest in learning the new technology. It's just, it, the technology wasn't a friend to the way that he liked to do things. Like he doesn't want to change the way that he does stuff. Like even on Danzig three, you can hear like, how the Gods Kill, probably my favorite Danzig song. Uh, but he did one take on that song. They forgot to sh- shut an amp off at the beginning of the song. And anytime his vocals come in, you hear a weird fucking hum from an amp. And they were like, uh, Glenn, can we do another take of that song? The amp was on. He told them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking left. He does one take and then he leaves. And that's, I don't know. It's, I think you, you can, you can work with that. Uh, you know, I think you can work with that when you have a producer who knows how to work with your sounds or whatever. I think you can also see that in Danzig's movie, Veronica. Like he doesn't, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He never made a movie before. He very clear. He's putting lights where they don't belong. <laughs> like there's, he doesn't know what he's doing, but he did it, and he doesn't give a fuck that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just going to make it. He's going to do what he wants, and that's fascinating. You talk about him the way I talk about Prince, and I see a lot of parallels with totally. the way you're describing him because, you know, Under the Cherry Moon's a mess. Graffiti Bridge is a bigger mess, but uh, and, you know, 
uh, Prince chased a bunch of trends and didn't really always work out, but still, I, yeah. I'll read about all of them. I'll listen to them all once. Dude, I just finished um, his book. Uh, what is it? Um, um, the, the Beautiful Ones. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I just, dude, I love, I also love Prince. Prince is the same kind of, th- he's exactly the same thing as, as Danzig. Like they were trailblazers when they first kind of existed. And then they grew, they just grew into these like, uh, you know, when they, when you become like a weird icon like that and you're, you get touted with inventing stuff, it's, it, it's hard to uh, it's hard to I don't know it's it's hard to just not uh, think you are untouchable and can do no wrong. But in in their in their version of it, I don't find it obnoxious. I think it's so endearing and fascinating at the same time. Like I loved that book. Like like I, reading that book, um, I uh, that was. I was like, this is the Prince biopic I want to see. I want to see a movie um, about someone explaining to someone else what they're like. They should make a Prince movie about Prince explaining to someone what a Prince movie should be. And that's the movie. <laughs> that sounds fucking fascinating. So it's like a version of The Disaster Artist, but it's about Purple Rain. But good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'm into it. You know, people well, make yeah. some calls. <laughs> Yeah, dude, I would love to see like Prince explaining purple. Like every, I don't know if you read that book. I did, but there's just you did. Yes. Yeah, I love like just scenes like like him inviting him to like uh, like this guy to parties and just like then like uh, like surprising him with like the like weird pages he wrote and then like a phone call like that type. Of, I think that that would be there's so much fun to be had with the cinema of that and even trying to like when Prince is talking about like what he can do, like trying to bring some of those images to life. Just, I think that that's really what a Prince movie is, is like a mixture of all, like I liked the book. I liked the beginning of the book more than I liked like the, uh, like the actual pieces I liked. I was more fascinated with just like that long, I I guess it was like a long forward to it i agree like the the note pages that were turned in that were then transcribed but still written like prince with the letter u rather than the word u that was like mm-hmm. fine but i i agree i want to hear more about the like ghostwriter story and that dude yeah i think a ghostwriter story of that like uh whatever movie they were trying to make about uh uh david foster wallace with uh with jason siegel i didn't see it but uh i want that with with prince and a writer i think there's so much fun you can have because he is he's like uh you know it it, there's just like all this willy wonka shit with him the the, like the the parties uh sound fucking awesome like he's just he's the coolest person in the world prince is the coolest person that ever existed and but there's also something so fucking funny about it yeah it's Uh, fascinating did you ever get to see him live never i um i am mad 
because I was in college when he played his um, he did his final New York date. I didn't know it was going to be the final New York date, but I was in college and I was uh, talking to my friend who actually got me into uh, like early Prince albums. Like I, I had never heard like Dirty Mind and uh, like self-titled uh, until him. And we were like, oh, my God, he's going to he's going to be here. And the tickets were like like uh, like just nosebleeds were like two hundred and fifty seven dollars. And for me, being like in college and like working, like having like so uh, like no money, I was like, I'll I'll, I was like Prince is ageless. He'll play New York again at a time where I actually have like the money to afford this. And uh, I let it go, and I regret it. I regret not just going into a little bit of debt <laughs> to see Prince. I was able to see him one time, um, and similarly, tickets were absurd, and I went into debt for a while. But I was just like, he's he was doing this thing where he was announcing a show that was like that weekend, and you basically had to like wake up hella early and get the ticket online, and then like you know prepare to go to the show the next day or something. So it was when right. he was touring with Third Eye Girl and they played Oakland at the Fox, which is like a, a medium-sized theater. So it's already weird that he's going to be there. Like, if you're in the nosebleeds, you are still got a great spot. It's not like you're in a nosebleed arena there. Right. So I get up, I put in all my card information to the, like the Live Nation app or whatever, and I try and get a ticket on my phone and it says they're sold out. But I happen to have the page open on my computer. So I try on that and it works. And I'm like, holy shit. I just spent so much money. Oh no. <laughs> so then I was like, fuck, I have work. So I figure out how to get out of going to work and I go to the show and I park in this parking garage where the play, the garage closes at 11 PM and they will lock your car in there. So I'm like, great. That'll be inconvenienced when print is, print is ultimately late. And he absolutely was. So yeah. I go, I go to the show and I realize my tickets are on the floor. So that's amazing. So I'm there and it's security is jumping everybody's ass for their phones because he's like, I don't want to see any phones out there. If you are on your phone taking pictures of video, they will kick you out. They give you one warning and then you're out. It's like someone check the time and get a warning. And Liv Warfield opens and she comes out and just like is amazing. I had no idea who she was. Then it's like an hour before Prince. It's 10 o'clock and then Third Eye Girl comes out on stage in front of the curtain and we're just, hey, guys, we're Third Eye Girl. Prince is going to be here soon. Um, just a reminder, don't bring out your phones. If you do, you'll get kicked out. Okay, bye. It was very much like a cheerful, like, Face Bones Metalocalypse intro where you'll right. die if you do this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he plays, like, a set that's mostly deep cuts. Like, he does Let's Go Crazy in the blues style that he was doing for a while. Um, he does a song called Always In My Hair. But the way he yeah. introduces it, he's like, this next song is called Always in My Hair for all you ladies that are always in Prince's cute little curly hairs. And then he touches his groin. And I was like, oh, my God, is this song about pubes? I thought he was all Christian and shit now. Yeah. Oh, God, it's it's confusing. He, go, he, he goes like back and forth based on like what he uh, just like certain nights he's, you know, uh, He's very Christian in certain nights. He's just like, oh, it's still fun yeah. to sing these old, uh, super horny lyrics. <laughs> Always in my hair is uh, on the B-Sides album. So he definitely wrote that when he was still 
um, I am a Lego man built out of sex. But yeah, my my night ended with uh, he did Purple Rain at the end of his main set and he didn't even play guitar on it. He played keyboards on it. And then at the end, when the guitar solo was, he had an extended audience like part where they Mm -hmm. just did like the closing thing for like five minutes straight. And I just cried. And it was the first time I've ever just like full on just like sobbed at a show. It was unbelievable. And then I looked at the time. It was 10.55. I'm like, I have to go get my car and I have to leave. So I missed his like 15 song encore where he played God damn it. where he like played pop life and raspberry beret and like don't like live came up and they did some stuff with the new power generation horns and it was just like a whole party but of course he was fucking late because he was prince but i still got to see him you did it man i mean i i don't think he did i don't think he actually I think he was about to do a third eye girl show in New York, or I don't remember. I don't think he did an official one. I, I know he did like a, like a last minute, one of the, like one piano of those, ones, right? like a, yeah, piano thing in New York. But there was, I fucking absolutely missed out on that. Um, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just come back to your stuff, but we can definitely keep talking about Prince. <laughs> I mean, I look, look, I'm always excited to, talk about him um he's i don't know like uh sign of the times is the best record ever made probably it's it's i i think for for my money i'm i don't think that you can find uh a a sonic story and emotional journey as complete uh as that album that album is so unique and there's so much going on in it and everything is perfect. Everything is weird. I, um, you will, uh, like you'll cry hard. Like even I, I have like weird feelings about, uh, listening to the cross as a Jewish person, but (laughs) I still think that song is, is so fucking strong and powerful. And then when, uh, fuck, I remember, I forget the last song, but just like the last song, that's just like a 15 minute party. I'm like, this is exactly what I want. I want to cry. And then I want to dance till the record is over. And just, there's everything. That album sounds like life. I love it. I fucking love it. That was quick. Shut up. Etc. That, that lyric always just stands out to me on that, that song. Just, yeah, it's so aggressive for no reason, but it's great. I know. I know. Everything <laughs> is fucking weird. Like, I I love, uh, with, like, Starfish and Coffee is fucking such a weird, like, it's just a breakfast, it's just a, a making breakfast song after, like, fucking song. It's weird. He's literally singing breakfast foods, but for some reason it's incredible. And that's the song that got him on the Sesame Street show. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, uh, he plays that on The Muppet Show. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, when he's a guest on the, uh, one of the best episodes. I'm so excited um, that I, I have regretted, uh, like, I w- for a while I was like, uh, I had like a free Disney Plus, and I'm like, I don't know why I'm keeping this. Um, 
I don't really like Star Wars that much. <laughs> and, oh, you're about to um, marathon something next week then, aren't you? Or is that this week? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. It's on Sunday. Oh, shit. Yeah, the, the Muppet Show is coming to the to Disney+. Plus. So I'm like, all right, I'll keep, I will keep this forever for the Muppets because I need them. I have, like, some of the episodes on DVD, but they never they never put all five seasons out. There's a bunch of missing shit, and The Muppet Show is the best. It's incredible. Uh, I'm completely off topic now, but fuck it. Um, one of the... Another, like, really emotional shows I saw... I saw Dr. Teeth and The Electric Mayhem once. They played... How? They played... What? Yeah. I've actually seen them twice. Oh, no, I say it, but... Um, that rules. They played Outside Lands, which is, like, San Francisco's answer to Coachella. Um, and... It was on like one of the last days and they played for 20 minutes and it was just like a live, you know, puppet show. And they had a back back video. They did move and ride along. They did just like covers of weird, just like um, that song where it's like Alabama, Arkansas, and just move, naming cities. And it's like kind of like a roots rock song. And then they did. The, it was the, the modern song. Yeah, they like... did mostly modern songs. But it was like oh. really weird just to see Animal in real life and yeah, then third eye bind played <laughs> what <laughs> yeah the la they were on the main stage and the, like the last they kind of really want to like pull up the lineup for that day because it was so weird but like uh the electric mayhem played and they had like a local choir come out and sing a song with them and then so did third eye blind they had a different local choir come out and sing a bunch of david bowie songs <laughs> That is fucking weird. That is so goddamn weird. <laughs> um, but that sounds awesome. Like I, I went to the Tim, I went to the Jim Henson exhibit, and just seeing those puppets in real life is very emotional. There's something really special about the uh, creatures he created. Um, just looking at them is pretty fascinating, and I love that. I love his sense of humor. I love Jim Henson shit so much. I, um, I think that like every every movie, every like best like the the Muppets are the best. The Muppet movie is like the best movie ever made. It's so, um, it's so there's so much fucking joy in that. It's just uh, I I think for like. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. I love the fucking Muppets, man. <laughs> I just, I think no, great. agreed. I, I, there's just like the song, Paul Williams's music is so fucking awesome. Speaking of the Bowie tie-in, like Paul Williams stuff with Bowie is great. And then he just like does Muppets. And, um, I think that, I don't know. There's so, the Muppets shouldn't work like that formula it sounds like chaos, like a children's show for adults with like people doing weird voices. Uh, like, I don't know. It shouldn't work, but it does. It's great. I love it. Uh, just to put it's so a, funny and cute. Just want to put a button on the outside lands thing. So the lineup for that stage was Kamisi Washington opened then a band called Oh Wonder, Electric Mayhem, Third Eye Blind, Chance the Rapper, Major Laser, and then headliner of the day was Lionel Richie. It was that fucking rips. That's so cool. 
Lionel was unbelievable. I've since seen him again, and I would absolutely see him tomorrow. Lionel Richie, uh, Kamisi Washington, and Dr. T. Like, I would, dude, Third Eye Blind is the pee break. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, coming back to your stuff, uh, yeah. if you still have time, of course. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at least the output of the show has kind of pivoted to Splitsville for the time being. Or are the covers, like, just on a break? Honestly, right now, the covers are, I mentioned, like, dude, we have, like, 20 songs in the works. It's really just we're trying to, uh, we're trying, we, we were, we're trying to get musicians, like, uh, back down. Like, I, it's been hard to get drummers into the studio right now, um, at least the drummers we, we want to work with. Like, we're trying to not have every song be Ben Santos and Chris Maggio. But there are some drummers that we're trying to work with that are, um, you know, they need an engineer. And so, but there's like, you know, uh, there are engineers in LA and LA is a fucking nightmare of COVID. And it's also, uh, we took a break over the holidays because people had a lot of plans and we needed a break. The covers are absolutely coming back. We did pivot to do Splitsville because we wanted to start off this year with something a little bit new. And I think people kind of needed, uh, I think we wanted to, uh, to, to give a little bit of space to make sure that we were not, um, just churning out, uh, songs for the sake of it. And we wanted to make sure it's the right songs with the right people. We have so we got we have like half a year's worth of like if we were gonna if we're gonna keep doing when they come back, if they're gonna keep coming back every single week, we have half a over half a year's worth of material in the works. So it's just a matter of whenever the first one gets finished. <laughs> and uh, how we want to keep it always yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you, you sir. We just want to keep it. We're trying to keep it like, um, like uh, we're trying to keep the lineup fresh. And for and to do that, it's a lot of teaching people how to do this for the first time, or they don't really know exactly like the format or whatever. So they have a lot of questions, or it takes them a lot of time. Once they do it for the first time, it's easier to get them back. But we want to keep. Uh, kind of challenging ourselves. We're picking all this. The other thing is we're picking uh, a lot of more ambitious stuff uh, for the future. So it's going to take a little bit more time. And then Splitsville is where you have uh, two bands cover one another. How many of those do you have plotted? And I, I will likely drop this tomorrow, so I don't think you'd want to say who's next. But <laughs> <laughs> I think like. We have, we have, uh, we actually don't, we didn't have any plotted except for we knew we wanted to try it with um, Every Time I Die in Caven because I was like, I think they are the right uh, team. I think, um, uh, like, Every Time I Die had such a huge, intense fan base, and I, re I just remember reading. I remember hearing about Caven for the first time because I heard every time I I remember reading in some magazine uh, a, 
like about the every time I die guys referencing cave in. So it was the first time I even heard like I, I, I did not even realize when I first met Steve, I did not realize that he was in Caven. Like I'm from the Caven seemed to be more of a mid, uh, like an East Coast phenomena. So when I was in high school, I was in Colorado and they didn't really they didn't have as much of a reach out there. I remember hearing them and being like, oh, they're this band. Oh, yeah. OK, I got it. But I knew that that connection would be interesting because they're bands that are sort of of the same generation, but no, they aren't. And I don't think that people would expect these these bands to cover each other, uh, especially since they've only done like one tour together, uh, like almost two decades ago. Um, so we wanted to see how that would work. I think that they're sonic. They were connected sonically a little bit, but they, at this point, had been so different. And then when I, uh, we just took a lot of time. Like, we've been planning Splitsville since August, trying to figure out exactly how to make that thing happen, how to help these uh, bands do all of these things themselves, or figure out, like, it's, it's hard because the bands are are spread out. Um, and every time I die was, was not eager to, to do a lot of, uh, I mean, we, d you know, they didn't even, they had their album in the can in February, but they just started putting out singles. So, so I think there was like a part of them that was like, um, you know, uh, waiting for the right time to do some stuff, uh, in this shit ass time we're in. But we, we tested it out with them, and now we're work. We're talking to a lot of. We're talking to different bands now, but I think the key part is I don't really want to. I'm not going to force two bands to work with each other. Like I don't think that's really how it's going to work. I think that the best part that, uh, the best thing that happened at Splitsville was watching. Um these two bands realize how much they mean to each other. Like Aww. the Caven boys cried uh, at the every time I die cover. I don't know if you saw it, but like, um, like every time I die was floored with uh, Caven's intent. That the best part was watching Caven remind everybody how fucking heavy they are with their cover of uh, more. And, they really got they got to show off like uh like every big aspect of that band. Like they got to use their spacey noise at the beginning. They got to show off Steve's beautiful voice, how intense Steve's scream is, and also what they're gonna sound like recorded with Nate Newton for the first time. That was a that's a first oh, yeah. studio recording with Nate Newton in Caven. Um which is a big deal. And so I think it's really, I think that that was really cool to see. And then every, like, which I think was unexpected. Everybody, I think expected, um, every time I, or Caven to pick an every time I die song with more singing in it, or, uh, that was more in the catchy realm. And then Eated swerved everybody and <laughs> just picks youth overrided, no screaming. No breakdowns, like just 
uh, a powerfully emotional song about growing old. And we got to do a lot of fun. Uh, Drew got to do a lot of fun stuff with, um, with the post-production. He really made that uh, come together. Like we came up with the, we saw what every time it dies footage was. And we were like, okay, we should lean into uh, the nostalgia of this. And so I pulled a bunch of old eat hidden cave shows and we built like a, a fun kind of scrapbook of like video scrapbook of both bands. Well, every time I die is covering uh, youth overrided with such precise detail of the song. And it made everybody in the chat. There wasn't a dry eye in the chat, which is weird, a weird thing to say, but that's, <laughs> The reality. Uh, and so that's kind of what we want Splitsville to be is we just we don't it, it doesn't really matter about the name of the bands. It's just got to be two bands that have a connection with each other. It's got to be about friendship. I think it's got to be about <laughs> like that's really what we want to see is like Ben is bands that have a relationship trying to flatter each other or surprise the other one. Because that's the way it's really going to be fun. Well, that's that's like a really cool thing to do, and I like that Two Minutes to Late Night is bringing people to bring people together in new new ways during all this weird shit. We're um, trying. Yeah, I mean, it's it definitely beats Gal Gadot and Imagine or whatever. I like your <laughs> I like your version a lot more. Oh, I would never cover John Lennon. All right, so go ahead and take George that one Harrison. off the list. Yeah, no, I would cover George Harrison or Paul. Um, I like, I we I have weird Beatles take. Like, I think I like George Harrison solo, and I like uh, Paul solo. But I never, I never fucking listen to the Beatles. I just never do it. If I don't if know if on somewhere, I'm fine with it. But I don't own a single album. I don't own a single album. I think I was definitely I I definitely told people I hated the Beatles in college, probably for contrarian uh like credit. But the reality is I is like every time I said it, I was like, but really why don't I listen to them? Is it that I actually I then would try to I've tried to listen to the albums. I'm like, there's something that just feels fucking weird about listening to the Beatles. It feels odd to do it. It feels um, maybe it's because they are such a forced into the zeitgeist, uh, at least into like they were in every movie that was nostalgic for the Beatles uh, growing up. Um, So there's something that just feels weird uh, to me about it. It feels like to me, it kind of feels like. like when I listen to the Beatles, it feels like watching. Um, you know what it is? I actually, I just, I just watched uh, like the Great Mouse Detective for the first time since I was a fucking child. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, I know that's weird, but I did. No, I dude, this, this house is animated stuff from that time all the time. It's not weird to me. Listeners, maybe. But I not this love animate. Like I have. The, the Batman cartoon on like Blu-ray. I have the tick on DVD. I love, and like Venture Brothers is my favorite. I love animation. Um, but I hadn't seen that movie 
in a, uh, in a really long time. And a podcast that me and my partner enjoy is like covering the people who made that movie in like a movie th- thing, whatever. But we watched The Great Mouse Detective and images like I really how weird uh, it was a weird version of nostalgia because I was like, I don't remember a fucking thing about this movie, but I know this movie in my bones. Like I it like hearing the songs like I didn't know a single word of them. But yes, I did at the same time. And it was it, it just it felt very weird it, there was like a weird uh there's it was just a weird slightly uncomfortable nostalgia uh and that's kind of what i feel when i hear the beatles at the same if i know i i feel like that i don't know how to explain that feeling but when i listen to the beatles it's just there's just a lot attached to every beatles song because of uh you know they're just they they were fucking everywhere it's just it doesn't uh, – the Beatles don't remind me of a time where I ever chose to listen to the Beatles, so it feels weird to do that, I guess, is the way I would describe it. That's me, like, to a T, except, like, I could also say that for, like, Led Zeppelin. Um, yes. And then the movie for me would probably be Rescuers Down Under. We watched it last summer, Rob- and the noise that the, like, lizard makes – still haunts me <sighs> just because she wants eggs <laughs> yeah it's just it's not even that it's like hot it's just that like oh my god i remember this frame but i didn't know i it just feels like uh an attachment to like an old memory it just feels fucking weird to do that it feels like it's it, the whole movie what it felt like deja vu because i was like i know these pieces and I know these melodies, but they were attached to nothing. They were attached. Putting context to this feels so strange. And the same, I feel like it's the same thing when I hear, um, like the Beatles. There's just like a weird nostalgia to it, where it's like, it's like I don't even know if I liked this, but I know this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that I don't know. That's. It's very. I were. That being said, yeah, we're not gonna cover. We're not gonna ever cover. Like songs, we'll never cover. Never gonna cover the Beatles. Uh, probably. Um, never gonna cover. Just more for the John Lennon of it. Uh, I'll cover some fucking McCartney two shit. Weird. Just music that just sounds like he threw forks down the stairs. <laughs> Let's get Mike Patton on doing the adult themes for voice stuff with that one. Great. Let's do it. Cool.
Again, find all the bedroom covers now over at youtube.com slash Mrs. Woman and keep up with all things Two Minutes to Late Night over at honorableswords.com. There you can find their Patreon page, merch page, and more. And as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and invite you to head over to Podcast.com. If you are in a band and you want to be on the show, that's where you can get in contact with me. You can find old episodes there, my merch store, and a lot more. And then, of course, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.